Well, thank you, Tyler. We'll take your Bible this morning, if you will, and turn to the first book in the Bible. I know when we were in Habakkuk the other day, some of you were having trouble. Well, uh, finding Habakkuk, and uh, you had to go to the front and find the index. You had trouble finding that, and uh, finally found it, but shouldn't be too hard this morning. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, and uh, we are in a series called The Bible That Jesus Read. And we're looking at stories in the Old Testament. So uh, we're going to be back in Genesis chapter 28 this morning. And I've titled the message, How to Turn Your Burden into a Blessing. How to Turn Your Burden into a Blessing. And we're going to be looking at a man by the name of Jacob. And uh, Jacob, I always like to give you a little context where we are in history when we're looking at a story in the Old Testament. And Jacob lived... Uh, sometime around 1836 B.C. to around 1689 B.C. So uh, he lived around seven, 800 years before King David and also a little over a 1,000 years before Daniel and Habakkuk uh, as we were studying Daniel and Habakkuk. So he was 12, uh, a little over between 1,000, 1,200 years uh, before what we read in the book of Daniel. So Jacob, of course, is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're going to look at a story from Jacob's life in Genesis chapter 28 that most of you learned in Sunday school, or I hope you did. If you were like me back in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, we used to sing a little song about this story. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Every rung goes higher, higher. Every rung goes higher, higher. So it's the story of Jacob's ladder. It's the story of a dream that Jacob had. So in Genesis chapter 28, we're going to begin and um, here in verse, actually beginning in verse number 10 of Genesis chapter 28. It says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Now, we're going to find that Jacob is in a hard place. Uh, How many of you have ever heard of Mike Lindell? That name might not be familiar with you. Mike Lindell, you know Mike Lindell. You don't know his name. He is the pillow man. How many of you have seen the My Pillow commercial? Yeah, you've seen the My Pillow commercial. I'm going to put a plug in for Uncle Mike. I I own one of his My Pillows and I love it. So everybody's going to go out and buy a My Pillow. I want him to send me a little commission. Uh, but Mike Lindell, he has become a millionaire because people don't like the pillow they sleep on. Everybody is looking for a better pillow. You know, Loy and I, we've had some interesting arguments through the years, but as we've gotten older, our arguments have got simpler, if not more intense. And uh, one of our arguments is, have you got my pillow? That's my pillow. Yeah, you know that's the pillow I sleep with. Give me back my pillow. But we all have our, some folks, now don't raise your hand, but some folks, you take your pillow with you on vacation, don't you? You pack it, you got your special pillow, and uh, you don't, that, I don't care if it's the Trump Hotel, you don't like that pillow, you've got your pillow from your house that you're going to sleep on. It's just something about 
sleeping. Well, here's a man, Jacob, who fell asleep and he had as his pillow a stone. As his pillow a stone. And we're going to talk about that stone. We're going to remember that stone as we go through it. Well, how did Jacob get to this place? Where was he going? Well, go back a little bit. Remember, Isaac was Jacob's father. And Jacob had a twin brother named Esau. And if you'll remember when they were born, uh, Esau was born first. And Jacob came right behind Esau. But when he came out of the womb, he had his hand on his twin brother's heel. He was grabbing onto the heel. And that's part of where his name comes from. One who supplants or one who takes the place of another. And so as they grew up, Esau was the outdoorsman. And Jacob, he liked to stay around the house and help his mother Rebecca out. And Esau would go out and he would hunt and he would uh, kill things and bring them back. And Jacob would be there at home. The Bible says Esau was hairy and, and a manly type person. Jacob, his skin was tender and smooth. And so as they grew, remember uh, Jacob, Esau had been out hunting one day and he was very hungry. And Jacob, you know, he'd learned how to cook. He was a good cook. He had a big stew going there. And he says, man, I'm starving to death. You know, what's in that pot of stew? And you perhaps remember the story. And, and uh, he says, give me that stew. And uh, Jacob said, well, how about you giving me your birthright? Remember, in the Middle East, in the ancient Middle East, the oldest child received all the blessing and, and, and the great amount of the inheritance. And if you weren't the oldest child, you were just out of luck pretty much. And, and Jacob said, hey, you give me your birthright and I'll give you a pot of stew. And Esau says, you know, what is my birthright worth? I'm starving to death. You know, give me something to eat. He says, fine, you can have it. And so, of course, he gives him a pot of stew. And Esau, you know, he goes on. He, Esau is the perfect example of a person who lives for the moment, who doesn't give any thought of planning. Esau is a great example of a person who just lives for today. The classic eat, drink, and be married because tomorrow we die. It doesn't matter. I just want to have a good time today. That's Esau. He said, I don't care anything about Anything about a, a, a birthright, I just want something to eat right now. That's all I'm worried about. And so Esau's living for the moment. He sells his birthright to Jacob. And then you remember the story. They think Isaac's dying. He's on his deathbed. Not really. He would live actually quite a few years after that. But it, everybody thought he was dying. And so Jacob makes this elaborate scheme with the help of his mother, by the way, I might add. And he makes this elaborate scheme. He puts goat hair on his arm and he comes in to his father. His father says, I want to bless my children before I die. And he says, you know, who, who, who is this that's coming in? And he says, well, it's Esau. He says, well, come near. Let, let, let me touch you and feel. And he said, well, you, you feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. And Jacob says, well, it's, it's Esau. I'm Esau. And, and, of course, Isaac then blesses Jacob. And gives him the blessing of the eldest. And he gives him the blessing that he will rule and he will reign. And his siblings will serve him. And, and when Esau comes in, the deed is done. And Esau gets very angry and very upset. And Esau says, I'm going to kill Jacob. I'm going to kill my twin brother. He has, he has uh, supplanted me. He has taken my place. And, and so Rebecca takes Jacob aside and she says, I don't want to lose both my sons in one day. So, so you run away. 
You go away, you take and you go to my brother Laban, your uncle. You go to him in, in, in another place until Esau calms down. Remember Esau was a man, a great passionate temper, a man with a great temper who lived in the moment. He'll calm down eventually, but you've got to get away right now or something bad's going to happen to you. So this is where Jacob is. Jacob has basically left home. His brother wants to kill him. His mother has sent him away. So Jacob here, you might say, has a past that haunts him. He is a man of deception. He deceived his father. He's a man with a family that is full of division. His brother wants to kill him. And he's a man who's departing his home. So he's a man with a burden. You know, it's hard to sleep sometimes when you're troubled. It's hard to sleep when you're troubled. When you've got worries, when things are bothering you. And no doubt Jacob, there was a lot he could worry about. Things were not well for Jacob. And he is running away from home, being sent away from home. So he has a past that is haunting him, if you will. And then you think about his present. He had to be homesick. You ever been homesick? Think about the definition. What does it mean to be homesick? I remember the first time I was ever homesick... Uh, back when I was growing up in the early 70s, we had something called church camp. Anybody remember church camp? You know, we didn't have SWAT and Super Wow and all that. We had church camp. And the Georgia Baptist Convention owned what is now, I think, the Woodman of the World camp in, uh, in, in Brunswick. I think Woodman of the World has that camp now, but it was a, a camp there close to the ocean there in Brunswick. And the Georgia Baptist Convention owned it at the time. And, and uh, every summer, all the churches in Georgia would send send the kiddos off to church camp. And uh, I was all excited. I don't remember how old I was, but went off to church camp. And I remember getting down there, and they put me in a cabin, and I didn't know a soul. And I, first night, I got up the next day, I said, man, I, you know, I could be home. You know, I, I want to go home. You know? And so I remember going to the lady, and I said, uh, Miss whatever her name was, I said, uh, I said, will you call my mama? You know, no cell phones back then, by the way. You couldn't text your mama, come get me. You know, hey, would you call my mama and tell her to come get me? Well, then, you know, she started in. Well, and I had two tracks going. My mind was saying, woman, don't start that. Get on the phone and call my mama right now. That's what I come in here to tell, and told you to Call my mama and tell her to come get me. That's what my mind was saying. She said, well, son, I tell you what, why don't we think about it for a minute? Let's work out something, and, and do you know anybody else? And, you know, I'm thinking, she is, she's, going, she's playing me around here now. And, uh, you know, my mind is arguing with her, but I'm sitting there silently. So, well, I know this guy. Well, I'm going to move you to his cabin. And my mind's saying, no, call my mama. But my, my voice betrayed me, and it said, okay, yes, ma'am, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And so they put me in the other cabin, and, and finally I... Uh, I guess she was wise, and uh, I ended up having a great time. But I think about I was homesick at the beginning. I, w- I had lost all things familiar. And that's really what homesickness is, the absence of familiar things. The absence of familiar things. You know, you could be homesick like I was as a child. But I think about as we get older, sometimes we get homesick. Not for a particular place but sometimes for a particular season in our life. Because as we get older, it's not necessarily the place that we miss, but it's the seasons, maybe when we were younger, you know, when the children were younger, when we were at home, 
You know, sometimes we call them the, quote, good old days. Maybe they weren't that good, but they seem good to us as we've developed some distance. But homesickness means that we have lost familiar things. And Jacob here was in a place where all that was familiar to him was no longer around. I mean, you may be in that place today where you feel that you have lost familiar surroundings. You are no longer comforted by where you are, but you are discomforted by where you are. You're in a strange place emotionally. You're in a strange place spiritually. You might be surrounded by the same home you've always lived in, but you don't feel the same way. Things are different. There's been changes in your family, changes in your home, changes in, in, in whatever, but you have, you have the, an absence of familiar things. You're homesick. Well, something else that Jacob, when we look at his present situation, not only was he homesick, but he was sleeping outside. Sleeping outside. That signifies exposure. Exposure. None of us like to be exposed. You know, we, we have... Uh, we like to be secure. We like to, everybody's got gates and fences and locks and doors. And, uh, I mean, now you get in a car, they've got tinted windows, you know. And uh, if that's not enough, they've got tinted sunglasses where you can't see where they're looking. You know, that's always discomforting. I mean, people want to be secure. You know, we want to feel like we are not exposed, that people are not looking at us, that they can't see us, that, that we, are, we, we are secure, that, that we are surrounded and, I'll use that word for the tenth time, secure. I need to expand my vocabulary, but we're secure. Y'all got it? We're secure. We feel that all things are okay. Well, he was outside, he was exposed, and, you know, sometimes we can feel exposed. You know, that happens sometimes when you lose your temper. And then after you've lost your temper, you, you really feel exposed. You think, boy, I made a fool out of myself, didn't I? People didn't know I was like that. I mean, they thought, they thought I was this great guy, all under control, and here I have gone and lost my temper. I've said all these things, and you've been exposed. You've been exposed. And all of a sudden, that person that you have thought people, you were trying to make people believe that you were, is no longer out there. Now all of a sudden they see the anger, they see the bitterness, they see whatever it is that you let bubble out when you lost your temper. You're exposed. Sometimes people in a relationship, they say, you know, I love you, and, and they tell this person how much they love them, and, and uh, what's it called? Rejection. You've been exposed. All of a sudden, you've laid out your feelings to that person and, and instead of that person reciprocating your feelings, they have rejected you. And, and uh, some of you don't have to look back very far. Some of us, we have to go way back, you know, when we were dating and that type thing. And you remember saying, boy, I can never show my face again. I can't, I can't bear to face that person. I've, I've been exposed. They know how I feel about them and they don't feel the same way about me. And, and there's that emo emotional vulnerability. You have been exposed. And, and Jacob represents that. He's sleeping outside. Not only is he, does he have an absence of familiar things, he's homesick, but he's on the outside. He's exposed. And then lastly, he's got that stone for a pillar. I've had some hard pillows. I've slept without a pillow, but I've never slept with a stone for a pillow. You've got to be pretty desperate when you sleep with a stone for a a pillow. But that was Jacob, and I think that represents a continual burden. A continual 
burden. Some of us are walking around right now with a burden. And that stone that Jacob slept upon, I I propose to you to take that as an example of a burden. Something that you never forget. You know, if you've ever slept a restless night, you've ever slept perhaps on on the ground, you know, uh, or you've slept somewhere where you were not comfortable, it seems that you're waking up every few minutes. And your back is hurting. Your neck is hurting. You're like, will this night ever end? I think I would be better to just get up and walk around rather than try to sleep in this condition. That's like a burden. Some people are walking around. You perhaps today. You've got something that is worrying you and it is a constant, continual burden. You are never free of it. It is always there. It is like a person on that restless night. You just, you're like, will this ever end? When will this ever end? I am thinking about this constantly and continually. It is the stone for my pillar. It is a great burden. Well, it is in that situation that Jacob has an intervention. We find it in verse number 12. He has a dream. The Bible says, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. But before we look at Jacob's dream, you know, I'd just like to think about dreams in general. Now, I've often said it's possible that God, certainly in the Bible, He spoke through dreams from time to time. God can speak to individuals today through dreams. That is not the normal way that He speaks. And, you know, sometimes you can have a dream and and, uh, it could be something God is trying to tell you or it could be that you ate too much pizza before you went to bed. And uh, it doesn't mean anything. But certainly, this dream meant something. I I did think it was interesting, and uh, some of you have heard um, both Brother Ron and and, uh, Brother Cliff uh, in their ministry to the Muslim population talk about how it's very, very common in many Muslim countries for people who are seeking perhaps Christ to have these odd dreams. These dreams about Jesus. These dreams about... Uh, Christianity and, and they re- causes them to reach out and to perhaps look for someone to further explain what that means. And as a matter of fact, David uh, Garrison uh, with the International Mission Board wrote a book some years ago called A Wind in the House of Islam. And uh, in a breakpoint interview in February 2014, uh, he notes this. It says, in many cases, Garrison notes, the Lord is using dreams and visions of Jesus Christ to overcome old barriers and reach Muslim hearts. Those dreams are often followed up by a Christian who points the seeking to the gospel. The latest issue of Christianity Today tells one of these dramatic stories, and Garrison's book, A Wind in the House of Islam, provides many more. When I asked Garrison why God might be giving more dreams to Muslims today, his answer was sobering. My fear, he said, is that they may have been having dreams and visions for 14 centuries, but there was no one there to tell them who Jesus was, no one there to give them a New Testament in their own language to share with them the good news that God loves Muslims. And I might put a little commercial in here uh, at this point. You know, we are going to be doing the Lottie Moon Christmas offering this Christmas season and ask you to give, and all of that money that you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is going to go to Southern Baptist Foreign Missions. Now, I'm using an antiquated term. I shouldn't use that term, foreign missions. But the new term is international missions. The International Mission Board, the IMB of the Southern Baptist Convention, to help make sure that there are people 
who can spread the gospel all over the world, not just to Muslims, but to every people group across the world. But the point being that God does sometimes use dreams to speak to people. And God did that in Jacob's case. Now, what was his dream? The Bible says he saw a stairway or a ladder that ascended up to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending. In other words, they were going up and down on that ladder. Now, there are a couple of things that that dream signifies just by looking at it. First of all, if there is a ladder, the Bible says it ascended up into heaven. That is signifies that both heaven and earth are connected. That there is a passageway from earth to heaven. You might ask, does the New Testament shed any light on this story? As a matter of fact, Jesus shed some light on this story. Over in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 50, Jesus is speaking, and I believe He's speaking to Nathaniel. He says, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And He said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you will see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That is too close to Jacob's dream not to be related. Jesus uses that same terminology. You're going to see heaven open and you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending. The only difference, Jacob said he saw a ladder or a stairway. And Jesus said you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, which was the term that Jesus used for Himself. So Jesus is... The gate, the stairway, if you will, by which we reach God. He is that access to God. He is the way to the Father. Only Jesus can take us there. I think about one of the old hymns that says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. So we look way back to Jacob. Remember I said when we started this series about the Old Testament, that in the Old Testament you see Jesus everywhere. Jesus is the focus of the Old Testament. And here you see Jesus in Jacob's dream. Jesus is the stairway. He is the ladder that connects earth to heaven. He is the ladder that connects man to God. Jesus Himself indicated that in John chapter 1, verse 40. Well, that is the dream, that passageway to heaven that Jacob saw. And then in verse 13, there was a promise made from heaven. And look in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now, you might remember that passage may sound familiar to you. And sometimes you may not realize that you've read it in two or three different places. That's called the Abrahamic covenant. And what God is doing to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, he is reaffirming what he told his grandfather. If you take your Bible and just turn over to Genesis uh, 13, 15, just a couple of pages over, you'll see when God told Abraham, 
and made that covenant with him. In Genesis 13 and verse number 15, almost identical words, he says to Abraham, he says, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I will give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through the length and its width, for I give it to you. And then in Genesis 26, 24, uh, God not only gave it to Abraham, but he, he repeated that covenant to Abraham's son Isaac. In Genesis 26, uh, verse number 24, then the Bible says, And he went up there to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for if I am with you, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pinched his t- pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. And then the third time that I just read a moment ago in uh, Genesis 28, to Abraham's grandson, God repeats that same promise, that Abrahamic covenant. And notice what he said. He says, first of all, I am with you. There's the promise of companionship. And then he says, I will keep you wherever you go. The promise of security. He says, I will bring you back to this land. The promise of guidance. And he says, I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. That's the promise of a personal guarantee. You said, well, they were special folks, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I mean, God had a special plan for them. That was a special blessing that he gave to Abraham and his descendants. Boy, wouldn't it be great if I could could be one of those descendants? Wouldn't it be great if that promise was to me? Well, hold on just a minute. Turn over, if you will, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 5. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 5. There the apostle... Paul says, Therefore, he that supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. By the way, before I read this, remember that in Galatians chapter 3, the whole purpose of the book of Galatians, Paul wrote it to people who had begun to believe and were being taught that the only way they could truly know God was to go back and keep the Old Testament law, to convert to Judaism, to be circumcised, and to keep all the Old Testament law. And the whole reason Paul wrote the book of Galatians was to remind them that you are made righteous with God not by the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, but by faith. And he's going all the way back to the father of faith, Abraham, to prove his point. So in Galatians 3 verse 5, he pick back up there. Uh, he says... He that supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And in case we didn't quite catch it in those verses, if you turn over to verse 26, the same chapter, chapter 3, verse 26, Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There you have the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 saying that you through Jesus Christ are heirs of Abraham. Now we don't have time to get into all this this morning, but let me just say briefly, that does not mean that the modern church takes the place of the physical people of Israel, the biological descendants of Abraham. The book of Hebrews answers that question when the writer of Hebrews says, has God abandoned his people Israel? And in the old King James English, it uses the strongest phrase possible. Uh, It says, God forbid. In other words, absolutely not. God has not abandoned. The church doesn't take the place of Israel, but we are grafted in and we are heirs of Abraham through faith. Both Jews, believing Jews and believing Gentiles, people of every race and nationality, of every social status, who come together through Jesus Christ are the heirs of God through Abraham. So yes, he made this promise to Abraham. He made it to Isaac. And he reiterated it to Jacob right here in Genesis chapter 28. But that promise, Paul says, is also to you. That promise of companionship that I am with you. That promise of security that I will keep you wherever you go. That promise of guidance that I will bring you back to this land. That promise of a personal guarantee I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Jacob has a vision, a dream. He meets with God. He has an experience, if you will, with God. Notice what happens to him. What is the result of that? Notice in verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Look there, if you will, that first passage in verse 16. He had a new awakening. He awoke from his sleep. Now that certainly means physically he awoke. But that can signify a greater awakening. We're talking about how to change your burden, how to turn your burden into a blessing. The first thing that has to happen obviously is we have to come to God. We have to see God face to face. We have to have an experience with God. Intellectual knowledge is not enough. We have to know God. We have to come face to face with God. And that's what happened to Jacob. God revealed Himself to Jacob through this dream. And first of all, it gave Jacob a new awakening. He awoke from his sleep. He was now ready to take action. Many many people, perhaps many of us here today, are spiritually asleep. God is at work. God wants to do something. But we're asleep. You know, with the advent of Netflix, I found a series I like. Oh, let's see, I've already advertised for Mike Lindell, okay, my pillow. So I found a series on Netflix I like, Father Brown. Anybody ever watch Father Brown? It's a British, you have to be, you know, it's one of those British stories, right, from the BBC. Uh, it, 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 it's one of those uh, British stories. And there was a good point to that whole thing. Um, <laughs> If I can remember what it was. Oh, I know what it was. 
Yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll think, you know, I'm going to watch an episode of that as I, as I lay here and go to sleep. And then I'll, I'll wake up and think, I think I just went to sleep, and I'll turn it off. And I'll go back three or four days later to pick up where I left off, and it'll be like four episodes been watched through. I'm like, did, I, did all those happen when I was, thought I was watching and, and I actually fell asleep? Well, that's some of us spiritually. You know, God is doing something, and, and we're kind of in a stupor. We're not picking up. We don't even know what's going on. The words are being said. God is speaking. God is trying to talk to us. He's trying to lead us, but, but, but we're asleep. We're too tired from all of the other activities. Remember the parable that Jesus gave about the seed? How the seed was sown and some places was good ground and it sprung up. Some places the Bible says that the seed was sown and it sprung up, but all the weeds and the thorns sprung up alongside of it and it choked the seed and it became unfruitful. And when Jesus interpreted that, He said, these are they that hear the Word, they hear the Gospel, they believe the Gospel, but then all the cares of the world, all the distractions of the world, all the entertainment of the world, all of these things come up and, and it gets our attention. You know, we have a limited intelligence, a limited attention span. There's only so much, you know, that, that they tell you that you start speaking that, you know, the mind can only observe what the backside can endure. So remember that when you're speaking to people. I try to remember that and that didn't elicit much of a response. So I, I see the backside has already endured all that it can. But there's only so much that we can take in before we say, you know, I just can't take in anymore. And most of us are full by the time we get ready to listen to God. We're already full. We don't have time to listen to Him. We're already, our mind is already full. Our emotions are already full. And we need to wake up. And Jacob woke up. He had an awakening, a new awakening, and he was ready to take action. And notice there in the latter part of 16, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. See, I, all those Father Brown episodes went by, and I didn't know it. I have to go back and, and re-watch them when I'm awake. I actually watched them, but I was asleep. I didn't know it. And Jacob said, God was in this place, and I didn't know it. How many times I wonder, have you been to church and said, Boy, that was boring. And God was there. You didn't even know it. Because you was thinking about something else. Your mind was already occupied. There was a no vacancy sign on your heart and on your mind. No room for you, God. I'm too busy. I've already got plans. Don't call me. I'll call you. You treat God like a, a telemarketer. Oh, no, it's God. Don't answer. Don't answer. Hello, I can't hear you. Bad connection. We treat God that way. We, we think maybe I'll just pretend like I didn't hear Him and He won't notice. I, I'll pretend like I didn't feel that conviction and maybe it'll go away. I'll just pretend like that didn't bother me and maybe it'll go away. Jacob had a new awakening. And we need to have a new awakening and a new awareness that God was in this place, Jacob said, and I did not know it, but now I do. And then he had a new awe. It says, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Now, Jacob went to sleep in that place, homesick and cold and with his head on a pillow. Now he's had an experience with God. He's had a dream. And he wakes up with a new awakening. Now he says, how awesome is He's in the same place. He's got the same rock for a pillow. 
But all of a sudden he's excited. All of a sudden he says, this is wonderful. This is awesome. How, how wonderful is this place? This is the gate of heaven. Wait a minute, Jacob. You're sleeping on a stone. You're outside in the cold. You've just lost all things familiar to you. You've just left home. Your brother wants to kill you. Have you forgotten? All those things are still true. But something is different. How to turn your burden into a blessing. What does he do next? He has this new all for the Lord. And now notice what he does in verse number 16. He says, then Jacob arose, or verse 18, then Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city originally had been Luz. Now, when it says he set it up as a pillar, you know, don't confuse those two words. The first pillar was a pillar for his head. That was the burden. But now, he's had this experience with God. He has awoken from his sleep. And now he takes his stony pillar that was his burden, and he uses that stone, which represents the burden that he carried, the burden that we all carry. We all have burdens. And he takes that pillar and he sets it up as an altar. That means a, a, that second pillar means an altar. To set it up as a monument. A monument. He sets it up as a monument to God because of the experience he's had with God. He pours oil upon it, which is an act of worship. And so now he's taking his former burden and he's offering it up to God. You know, there's so much theology running around uh, that talks about the blessings that we have as Christians. And there's, there's a lot of truth in that. We do have wonderful, wonderful blessings through our Christian faith. But I think something that is lost in what we call prosperity theology, that, that if you just have faith and believe, you know, God's going to just bless you, to bless your socks off. And I mean, you're just going to have a wonderful time. We've lost the ancient doctrine that's found in Scriptures that Paul talked about and Peter talked about. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. The, the, the doctrine that Jacob found here. And that is when you have suffering, when you have grief, when you have a burden, when you have a pain, there is something to do with that. You can offer that up to God as a sacrifice. God, I, I give you my pain. I give you my disappointments. I give you my burden that I'm carrying. I don't know what to do with it. I don't have a remedy for it. You know, Jacob couldn't call Mike Lindell and get him my pillow. He was stuck with the stone, but what he could do with the stone was he could quit fretting over laying his head upon it and he could set it up as an altar and pour incense and oil upon it and begin to worship God using his burden as an altar. And that's what you can do. Quit complaining about what God is doing. Quit arguing and, and, and it's okay to ask why. I certainly have done it and continue to do it. But don't focus on the why. You may never know. But take the burden that you have and use it as a pillow, as an altar to worship God with. Offer it to Him. Give it to Him. Chorus again. I've told you many times I'm stuck in the 70s. But a chorus we used to sing uh, in the 70s was Give them all to Jesus. Broken dreams. Wounded hearts. Broken toys. Give them all. Give them all. Give them all to Jesus. And He will turn your sorrow into joy. Only He could do that. 
Only He can do that. I'm going to ask our musicians to come give us a hymn of invitation this morning. You've got a burden. I know you do. I have burdens. There are many burdens that we have that only we know. But God knows. God knows your burden. I love the song that we sang a moment ago. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Whatever burden you have, I ask you. I, don't, I can't give you an answer to your burden. I simply implore you to take your burden, take your problem, and offer it up to God. Uh, you can do that. You might not know why. You may, you may not can fix your problem. But what you can do is you can offer it to God. You can do that. You truly can. And I implore you to do that today. Offer up that burden to God as we sing.